at week 10 right here with our study on 1 Corinthians. Again, we're looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 12 through 20. And we are at the last section um, of um, where Paul is responding to reports. And this outline that's provided on, um, on your notes, um, this is from Gordon Fee's first epistle of the Corinthians commentary from the New International Commentary of the New Testament. Um, fantastic commentary. Um, it's, it's definitely worth the, I think it's 35 or $40. Um, it's definitely worth it. Um, I think it's about 700, 800 pages just on 1 Corinthians. Fantastic. Uh, and so uh, we've made it through the introduction, and tonight we're finishing up the reports. Um, if you remember from our study, um, he'd received reports from the um, people of Chloe. Um, Chloe, we um, determined, we, we think, um, might have been um, an Ephesian trader, and so um, Chloe was sent a trading party to Corinth, interacted with the believers in Corinth, came back to Ephesus where Paul was writing. Um, you can go back to previous studies of how we kind of logically deduced that. And um, the church was divided. We looked at um, immorality. We looked at litigation. Um, specifically, um, two weeks ago, we looked at how there was a, um, an incestuous relationship between a man and his stepmother. Um, and how um, Paul um, urged the church to um, conduct church discipline um, for the sake of, of, of the church, but also for the sake of that individual. And then last week we looked at, um, we looked at a church that was um, so at each other that they went to court against each other. Okay? We, we likened it to going um, before the people's court with Judge Judy. And so they, um, it was, and we also likened it to... Um, me having an, uh, a problem with, um, I think we used Brother Robert last week. Brother Robert's in the foyer. Uh, so me and Brother Robert are at odds with one another, and so we went to the amphitheater downtown and got a judge to stand up there and mediate between us. Just, wow. Okay, It's, it's crazy to think about, but this is what was happening in the Corinthian church. And um, in previous weeks, I'm going to say this every single time, this first bullet, and that is that Paul discussed how he was called by God for a purpose. He was called to be an apostle to the Gentiles. And we are called for a purpose to be a kingdom of priests who are mediating between a holy God and the lost around us. The Corinthians were constantly pointing at themselves and not towards God, but Paul continuously pointed them towards Christ, towards the cross of Christ. And so tonight, um, we're looking at the problem of soliciting prostitution in the Corinthian church. Again, told you to start with, this is an awkward subject. Um, nine times, however many weeks are in a year, like probably 99% of the time, um, your pastor is not going to get on stage or on the platform and preach from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 12 through 20. But this is the joy of verse by verse Bible study. And so when we talk about this, you can't be like, well, Pastor Andrew's harping on somebody in the room like we're here at, at verse by verse study. But here is something to think about though. Okay. Um, let, let's, let's put some, um, let's take it from its ancient Near Eastern context and try to apply it to our own lives. And so overall, the big picture that we're seeing right here is that there's the possibility of um, the Corinthians were, were soliciting um, prostitutes. Um, the believers, like the, the Corinthian believers were soliciting prostitutes. And so, but putting into its um, ancient Near Eastern context, um, that's what they were doing. 
Um, I would. There are different ways in which someone might conduct the same sin in today's age. Okay. And so just because we're not going to a local temple um, and, and soliciting prostitutes or going to your local restaurant and soliciting prostitutes, there are different ways that someone might be caught in this exact same sin. Does that make sense to everybody? Uh, we have to put it into our context. And so um, we discovered um, in our introductory lesson on 1 Corinthians that this is actually probably the second letter that Paul wrote to the Corinthians. In chapter 5, he he um, spoke of his previous letter that he wrote to them, and now he is writing to them. And so he taught them in person. He wrote to them, had received word back from Chloe's people and others, and is now writing back to them. And th um, through some of that correspondence, um, there is possibility that his teaching was either, one, taken out of context, because that can happen, right? Somebody can be speaking in, in front of you, and it's something just not... Um, not be understood or not said correctly or, or clearly. Um, and number two, um, teaching just can be completely ignored. And so um, those are two possibilities of what we're going to look at tonight. Also, I have another note right here because I know some of us um, have our King James Version. Some of us have our new King James Version. I don't know if we have anybody with the New American Standard Bible. But there are multiple areas in 12 through 20 that if you see in the ESV, the English Standard Version, which what me and Pastor Josh use, um, it has quotation marks. Um, quotation marks are not found in the original Greek, but it is a, um, it is a scholarly um, consensus, well, fairly large consensus, that some of these quotes or some of these phrases in 1 Corinthians 12 or 6, 12 through 20, sorry, in 1 Corinthians 6, 12 through 20, some of these might be specific phrases that the Corinthians are using to justify their sinful actions. And so what we're going to look at tonight is um, on, in the ESV text that I'm going to have up on the screen, you're going to see sections that have quotation marks. And so many scholars think that, hey, those are specific phrases. Those are like slogans that the Corinthians are using as, um, as a reason for their sin. And Paul states it, and then Paul refutes it. You say that blank, well, in fact, blank. And so let's start with um, chapter 6, verse 12. And this is against slogan number 1. And um, it's, the slogan is, all things are lawful for me. And so uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12, it says, all things are lawful for me. But not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Okay, so this is the first verse where um, Paul's responding to the argument that all things are lawful for the Corinthians. And so thinking, thinking about this phrase for just a second. Think back to what we've been taught about Jesus and, and Jesus fulfilling the Old Testament law and and. Um, Christ has set us free. Okay? But there's a problem with the way that the Corinthians are applying this phrase, and it appears that the Corinthians are using it as a license to sin due to the fact that there is now no 
law. Because now we're under, under the New Testament. Now we're under the New Covenant. Now we're under Christ. And so we have seen, but let's think back to what we've read so far in 1 Corinthians. We've seen strife. We've seen division. Um, we've read about an incestuous relationship between a man and a stepmother. We've read about brothers being unable to settle their differences to the point of going to court over their disagreements. And now in... In verse 15 of chapter 6, we read where the Corinthians were soliciting prostitutes. So this is where I get that from, by the way. Like I said, verse 15, it says, Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? That's where I got that it's... um, they were soliciting prostitutes, and, and prostitution um, in the ancient Near East was, was quite common, especially in, in, um, in the Greek peninsula, the Roman peninsula, but especially in the Greek peninsula in, in many of the Mediterranean port cities. And, and so they would have these feasts, they would have these banquets, they would have these parties that the leaders um, and the hosts would, would hold, and it was common practice for um, the, the host, the leader, to provide um, prostitutes for the end of the party. Okay? So that was, uh, that was the end of the party. And so the daily use of prostitution was also widely known in Corinth. Um, there are multiple um, historical, um, like ancient historians that I read that talked about how um, it was just like, um, just like going to the restaurant after work. Um, a lot of people would um, solicit, um, solicit prostitutes in Corinth, especially while it was under Greek rule. And so we, we talked about the, um, in the introduction, we talked about the temple of um, Aphrodite, um, where there were um, said to be over 2,000 temple prostitutes. So even, even before Roman rule, um, prostitutes were used as, as worship, but in this time, probably wasn't used as an act of worship, but um, but yeah, and so it's still common, still happening in Corinth. But let's, again, put it into perspective. Paul is working with new Christians. Paul is working with a group of people that we're talking about Jesus has only been resurrected for, what, 25, 30 years. These are people that we're not talking about generation after generation of Christianity. We're talking about these are, these are baby Christians. And so he is having to address this problem. And so this problem is something that actually creeps up a lot. And that is this, this phrase, this heretical belief in the early church known as antinomianism. Okay. Antinomianism. Now, I know that's a $2 word. It's a big one. Okay. You got to pay $2 every time you use it, right? Okay. Antinomianism. So anti meaning against, right? Okay. Like I'm anti Auburn football. Okay. Right. Against. Okay. I know I lost half of y'all right there. Um, okay. But then nomos, which is um, the Greek word for law. And so they are, they are people that are against the law. And the, the overarching idea is, since there is no law, I can live how I want to. Because there are no more guidelines to judge me. And that's the logical end of, of today's um, 
just today's subjective truth, the logical end is if there is no objective truth, then I can just live however I want to. And so we have a, a, a growing society of antinomians. But this is something that's, that happens in the church from time to time. But, but Paul, he, he works to counteract this. So this, this phrase that they're using, we, we see Paul in, in multiples of his letters talking about how you're free. Okay? Live as you're free. So this could be a, a misapplication of what Paul said, a misunderstanding. Or they could just be not even worrying about what he previously said. But Paul has to address this. And he uses two phrases to put this into perspective for the Corinthians. He uses the first one, but not all things are helpful. And the second one, but I will not be dominated by anything. And so Paul does not specifically say that Christians are not free, but it is the problem of how the, Christian, the Christians in Corinth and even us today utilize our freedom that is found in Christ. So the questions are like this. Is what I am doing helpful to me? Is what I am doing helpful to others? Is what I'm doing helpful to the cause of Christ? That's what Paul is asking. And the second one, is what I am doing dominating or having control over me? When our license in freedom causes hurt to others, we no longer operate in that freedom out of love for our brothers and sisters. Our freedom in Christ is not a freedom to sin, but a freedom from sin. And so let's look at Galatians 5, 13 through 15 real quick. This is going to give us a little bit of idea of what we're talking about. And so it says the question, how does Paul's teaching in Galatians 5, 13 through 15 relate to this passage? And so 13 through 15, Galatians 5, it says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Okay, so how does Galatians 5, 13 through 15 relate to, um, to what we talked about right there with verse 12? 